Welcome, everybody that's uh, here in person. I want to give a special welcome. So we've got some faithful viewers online. So uh, Sue Ann, Joanne, and Stephanie are with us pretty much week in and week out. So welcome this morning. Hey, I also want to bring you greetings from Rwanda. Uh, a lot of you guys know that Rick and I were there just really uh, a week and a half ago. And uh, bring greetings from Bishop Nathan and Bishop Sam. These guys are, are folks that are familiar to most of you guys. And the primary reason for our trip was to go over there and dedicate this church that many of you guys helped to provide the funds for. Uh, a few years ago, we, we gave out envelopes of money and challenged folks to see what you could turn that in, how you could invest that, and we were able to raise enough money to help build this church. And it's in this little community called Nyarurenzi, Nyarurenzi, and I first went there in 2017. And I remember going to this place, and there was just a few people gathering together, and they were meeting in this, this mud building that had a, a metal roof that was full of holes. And we thought, we need to get them uh, a proper church. And so because of your generosity and, and just uh, your good stewardship, we were able to do that. I've got some pictures of that for you. So uh, that's the front of the church. Those are the doors waiting to welcome everybody in. Uh, I just love looking at me like that. In that when, when you see me like that, isn't that how you envision me forever? Anyhow, that's me with all my garb on, looking rather official, fooling everybody there. But uh, we were opening the church up there. And then that's the folks inside. Here's what was so awesome um, it was packed. So imagine just building this building and now hundreds and hundreds of people gather there now to celebrate Jesus. They have a place to welcome their friends and family members into. They have protection. So it was raining out and now they could worship without having to worry about that. And what was so fascinating, so there, there are literally hundreds of people in there. Many of them didn't have a chair. They didn't have a seat. And there are people outside looking in, just wanting to be a part of things. This service went on for four hours. So, so don't complain any longer. You know, if, you know, I am inspired by the Holy Spirit to go a little bit longer. You know, so it went on for four hours. But here's what blew my mind. An hour before the service started, the place was already full. And they were just there to worship. And they were singing and they were dancing. And, and I was humbled by that. I was thinking, I wish I had a heart like that. Like, I, I would want to get to church an hour early just to sing and praise God. And that I could stand for four hours and, and be perfectly content. Wouldn't that be great? And so when I go there, I'm always humbled and encouraged by their faith. So greetings from them. Now, we happen to find ourselves in the season of Advent, if that's not familiar to you. It's this church season that we enter into where we have this anticipation as we look forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, but we also anticipate and look forward to his coming again a second time to right all the wrongs. And each week we've been looking at a different office or role that Jesus holds and a corresponding gift that he offers as well. And so we began um, the first week, Sudden shared about how Jesus is our prophet. He is our prophet, and the gift that he offers us is one of hope. So he's the prophet, and he offers us hope. 
Week two was Jesus as priest. And the corresponding gift that he offers is that of peace. And this is week three. And this week, we're going to focus on Jesus as king. Jesus as king. And the corresponding gift that he offers us is joy. It's joy. Now, um, we don't have a king in our country. So in our context, really more like the president. But as I think of um, um, our president or president's past, I, I don't typically think of joy. Do you? Like when, when, when I, throughout the day, if I say Joe Biden, does joy just come immediately rushing forth? Probably not. Or how about Donald Trump? Do you feel joy? Maybe not. But I could go throughout history, look at president after president. We could go around the world looking at kings and rulers throughout the centuries. And I think we would be really hard-pressed to find any king, any president, any ruler that we would equate with joy for all the people. And yet, here's Jesus as king who offers us great joy, that embodies joy for us. So what makes him so different? What makes him so different? Because there's never been a king like this. You see, when we look at Jesus as king, one of the things we see is, is, is as a king, he, he um, is light in, in a world of darkness. He, he's a king who came really to serve, but not to be served. He, he came as a truly benevolent king who, who cared more about the needs of others than his own needs. He came to uh, rule, not, not with judgment, but with grace. He, he was a king who took the sin and the suffering of his people upon himself. He was a king who chose to die in place of his people. He was a king who embodied love. There's never been a king like this. Now, now today, I, I want us to consider just a few snapshots from the life and ministry of Jesus as um, really described to us by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so um, we're going to begin in, in Mark, in, in chapter 5, verses 24 through 34. And, and in this snapshot, here's what we see taking place. So, so a prominent uh, synagogue ruler approached Jesus, and this guy's uh, daughter was, was dying. And, and he begged Jesus to come to his house, to bring healing to his household, to bring healing to his daughter. And so Jesus said yes. And the two of them began to make their way to his house. And as they were going, people were just crowding around. They were pressing in. They were wanting to get close to Jesus to just touch him. Now, in the midst of the crowd was one woman. She was poor. She was broken. She had been suffering for over 12 years with a severe case of menstrual bleeding. And she had sought out every doctor. And instead of getting better, she just got more and more sick. Her hope was dwindling. Her joy was gone. She was treated like an outcast because she was unclean. And yet, she believed if she could just get close enough, if she could just touch this king, that he could heal her body. And so she made her way through the crowd, within arm's reach of him. 
And she reached out and she caught just a corner of his garment. And at that moment, she felt power come. She, in that instance, was healed. The bleeding stopped. And so did Jesus. He stopped in the midst of the crowd, all pressing against him. And he said, somebody has touched me. Well, you can imagine the disciples, they're looking at Jesus going, what are you, Jesus, come on. Like everybody's touching you. Everybody wants to touch you. You're, you're surrounded by people. What do you mean somebody touched you? He's like, no, I'm, I'm talking about a special touch because I felt power leave me. And so he began to, to scan the crowds, searching for the person who had touched him. Finally, this, this woman, you know, overwhelmed with fear, comes and falls at, at the feet of King Jesus, not knowing how he's going to respond. Is he going to condemn her for touching him, making him, quote unquote, unclean? She expects judgment. And what does she get? Compassion. She gets compassion. And Jesus takes the time in the midst of the many for this one woman. And he listens to her story. And then this is what he says. This is verse 34. It says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There's never been another king like this. Mark goes on in, in Mark chapter 10, and he describes another encounter that Jesus. So Jesus, um, he was never too busy for, for the suffering. But he was also never too busy for children either. There was this one time when, when parents were bringing their little children to Jesus and they just wanted him to, to touch them, to lay hands on them, to pray a blessing over them. And as they were doing so, the, the disciples looked and, and, and they thought, Jesus is too busy, he's too important for these lowly little kids. And, and they were kind of um, pushing the families, pushing the children aside. And Jesus saw this and he heard this and he was indignant, we're told. And he rebuked his disciples and he said, let the little children come. Let the children come. Do not hinder them because the kingdom of God is for people like this. It's for people like this. Let the little children come. That was his call. And um, he did that. He invited them to come. And one by one, he, he took them into his arms and he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. He blessed them. He, he was indicating that to, to be a member of Jesus' kingdom, that we need to have childlike faith. We may not have all the answers. We just need to trust him, to come to him, receive his touch, receive his blessing. There's never been another king like this. Now, there's another example in John. So John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. If you know John, so John was one of Jesus' closest followers. And so he's giving us an eyewitness account of what actually took place here. And in this example, we see incredible humility on the place of Jesus. It was just before the Passover festival. And, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and, and go back to heaven um, the devil had already enticed Judas to betray Jesus. And even though Jesus knew he came from God and he was returning to God, even though he, he knew that he had all the power, all the authority on earth, 
Knowing all that, guess what he did? He got up from the table and he took off his clothes and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he took a basin full of water and he bent down and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel from around his waist. And as he approached Simon Peter, some of you guys are familiar with this story. Peter was a proud man, and he's like, no, Jesus, I I can't let you wash my feet. His pride wouldn't allow it. And and Jesus rebuked him in that, and he's like, Peter, then, then you don't have any part in me. Peter said, then, then wash all of me. He's like, no, all you need is for your feet to be washed. And he was indicating that, that if, if we are too proud, if we're not willing to humble ourselves before Jesus, allowing to assert him to serve us, we will have no part with him in the kingdom of God. And sadly, that was true for Judas. He just could not humble himself before Jesus. He could not receive the forgiveness that Jesus offered him. And because of that, he is spending eternity separated from him and his love and his goodness. Listen to what happened next. This is in verse 12. It said, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and your Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, we're to follow Jesus' example. And I believe that means figuratively we're to wash one another's feet. And I also believe there are times when we literally should be washing one another's feet. And we need to embrace um, these memorable words of of James. So James was Jesus' half-brother, and he said this, and I love it, it's in James 4, 6. He says, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Don't we need grace? But so often our pride gets in the way. Jesus offers us his grace. There's never been a king like this. There's never been a king like this. And then the last example I've got for you is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They, they give us four different unique perspectives on what happened the hours leading up to Jesus' death. You can see this in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 22, and John 19. And what we see here is that everybody had different expectations of the kind of king that Jesus was supposed to be. And Jesus failed to meet any of their expectations. He didn't meet any person's expectations of the kind of king he was supposed to be. And so after that that time with the disciples, after washing their feet, after having a meal with them, you, you may be familiar with the fact that he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and it was there that he was betrayed by Judas. And he was taken away to um, the high priest's house, and the, the 
religious leaders gathered together late in the middle of the night, and they began to have a trial of sorts. They, they um, were listening to all these false accusations. They were accusing him of things. They, they mocked him. They beat him. And at the end of the night, they decided to hand him over to the Roman authorities because only they could do what they desired to happen to Jesus because he wasn't the king that they desired. See, only the Roman authorities had the power to put Jesus to death. And so they handed him over to the governor, a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. And, and Pilate um, shared the accusations uh, with Jesus. And guess what? Jesus remained silent. He did not come to his own defense. And Pilate believed he was innocent. There wasn't proof of these accusations, and yet he feared the people. He was so afraid of a revolt that what he did was he, he took Jesus and he handed him over to his soldiers who, who tortured him, who beat him within an inch of his life. If, if that weren't enough, they stripped him of his clothes. His bloodstained body was covered with a purple robe as they mocked him as the king of the Jews. They... they wove together this vine of, of, of big old thorns, and, and they sunk it into his head. They gave him a, a wooden reed, a staff, if you will, that of a king. And as they would walk around mocking him, they would take it, and they would beat him over the head with it. When they were done having their fun, they returned him to, to Pilate, who again could find no fault. He he brought him before the people, and he said, what do you want us to, what would you have me do with your king? And they said, we don't have any king except that of Caesar. He's our king. Well, what would you have me do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. And they shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. And so he succumbed to the will of the people, and he handed them over to be crucified. And they took him to a nearby hill called Golgotha, which in English we call Calvary. And as they nailed him to the cross, Pilate had a sign made that was nailed above Jesus' head. And this is what it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And he had it written in Aramaic. That was the language of the day in that place. But he also had it written in Greek and Latin as well, so that anybody that came by would be able to read it that this was and is the king of the Jews. And we get a sense of the kind of king Jesus was because after all of this humiliation, after all of this pain, he looks over the crowd before him as he's suffering. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. There has never been a king like this. So let me ask you, who's your king? Who's your king? Joe Biden, he is not your king. Donald Trump, he is not your king. And guess what? You are not your king. You are not your king. You are not your king. Even though most of us act like we are our own king, you are not your own king. You know who's your king? 
It's Jesus. Whether you want to acknowledge him or not, he is your king. And I know this because God spoke it through the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he had to say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He says this, in, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the thing that you need to hear. Jesus is the king over every man, woman, and child. Every man, woman, and child that lives today, that has lived in the past, and will live in the future. He is the king. He died, but guess what? Three days later, he rose again, never to die again. And with that, he inaugurated his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. He was and is your king, whether you acknowledge him or not. And here's the reality that one day we will all bow our knee to him. We will all confess with our mouths that he is the king. And for some, that's going to be an awful day. It's going to be a day that is full of fear and judgment. But for those of us who have acknowledged Jesus as our king now, who, who, who are allowing him to reign over us, it's going to be a day of great joy. It's going to be a day when we get to come face to face with Jesus. It's going to be a day when we get to hear these words, even though we don't deserve to hear them, when, when he's going to look at us because of the faith we have in him, because we've been following after him, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Oh, what a day it's going to be. Because there's never been a king like this. You see, he, he's a king who, who brings light into our worlds of darkness. He, he, he's a king that came to serve us, not to be served by us. He is a benevolent king who puts our needs above his own. He's a king who doesn't rule with judgment. He rules our lives with grace. He's a king who took our sin and are suffering upon himself. He, he's a king who took away the power of death. He's a king who embodies love. There has never been a king like this. And he wants you to know that he's your king. And he wants you to surrender to him and to his kingship. But here's the question why is it that we fail to acknowledge and submit to his kingship? Because we're all guilty of this, okay? Maybe you've professed faith in him and said he is my king, but each and every day I'm willing to, to bet 
that there have been times when he said, no, you know, I'm going to be the king of my life. I'm going to be the king of my life. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We don't submit to the king, right? We don't look to him for guidance, direction. We don't follow him unfailing, unwaveringly. You know, we're all guilty. Why is it that we fail to acknowledge and submit to him as king? It's got to be our pride. It's the only thing I can think of. It's got to be our pride. And we know he opposes our, the, the proud. Why does he oppose that? Because he has so much more for us. Because there's never been a king like him. And he wants to rule our lives better than we could ever rule them ourselves. So what is it that keeps you from acknowledging and submitting to the kingship of Jesus? I'm going to invite you to, to bow your head with me. And ultimately, here, here's my hope that you bow your heart. And some of you may bow your knees as well. And I'm just going to pray on our behalf and, and ask him to come and be our king. Dear Jesus, I thank you that... There's never been a king like you, that you truly do love us. And <laughs> despite the way that we have treated you and continue to treat you, you, you continue to, to just sacrifice on our behalf. You take our burdens upon you. You take our, our guilt, our shame, our sins. Lord, thank you for that. Gosh, do I need that. Lord, you replace that with your grace and your goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Lord, I do pray for each and every one of us, but specifically for anyone that has never really come to bow their hearts, bow their minds, and confess their need for you, that we would be um, released of our pride, that you would break that pride. Break it, Lord, in, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we don't want to be like a Judas who, who is just so overwhelmed with um, guilt and shame that we're not willing to humble ourselves before you and receive your blessing and receive your goodness. Lord, help us to lay down whatever it is, any questions. Lord, forgive us for thinking that you need to submit to us, that until you answer our questions the way we want them answered, we're not submitting to your kingship. Forgive us for that, for our arrogance, for our pride. And, Lord, help us to embrace you, to receive, again, your forgiveness and your grace. May it be so. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.